Counterproductive work behavior, or CWB, is a term we use to describe a really wide variety of negative workplace behavior. It can range from things that cause minor harm, like stealing pens, to serious bouts of intense aggression or violence. And as different as these behaviors may seem, what really ties them together is that they are intentional. Today, we talk about different kinds of CWB, why people do it, and what can we do to prevent them. I'm Jose Espinosa. I'm Nicholas Bremner. And you're listening to Mind Your Work, a podcast about social science and work, and sometimes stealing pens. So today we're going to be talking about counterproductive workplace behaviors or CWBs. Even the acronym is a little bit of a mouthful, but in general, these behaviors are are volitional acts, meaning people are intending to do them that cause harm to the organization or the people within it. And this is important to distinguish between other behaviors that could be considered just unethical, like um, unethical leadership behaviors. There's examples of some leaders who actually engage in unethical behavior to benefit the organization. This isn't what we're talking about specifically today. CWBs are actually, they've been categorized by numerous researchers and there's all these different typologies out there, but a simple and intuitive typology that we chose for this was uh, put together by Spectre and colleagues in 2006. And they talk about five different facets or, or categories of behaviors. One being abuse against others. Uh, this is you know a very broad category, everything from being kind of uncivil or, or insulting or bullying to um, things as severe as violence or sexual harassment. Production deviance is essentially doing a bad job at your job intentionally. This is uh, actually working slower or um, producing a final product of lower quality. The third is sabotage, where you're actually going out of your way to damage uh, property or the reputation of others at work. Then you have theft, which is pretty self-explanatory. Everything from stealing pens to embezzling tens of thousands of dollars. And then finally is withdrawal. Uh, withdrawal represents a series of behaviors related to just kind of being withdrawn or removed from the work environment, things like uh, being absent or being late. So it's really clear when we talk about all those different behaviors that fall under the umbrella of CWBs is that they are really different from each other. And the reality is that we could probably dedicate a single episode to each of these categories of behavior. They're that complex and they're worthy of attention. But CWBs is an umbrella category that is studied that way by researchers. And that's what we know about it from a science perspective. So we're going to do our best to untangle these different behaviors for you. But ultimately, just know that we are simplifying to some extent. And we're not going to give you a one-size-fits-all answer. Yeah, and while many of these behaviors do have some common causes, others have some very different causes as well. And in some cases, some of these behaviors, um, like withdrawal or, or being absent from work, isn't even necessarily CWB. What brings all these behaviors together or, or helps us to find them under the same umbrella is the underlying intention, uh, which can actually be hard to read in some cases. So if you take absence from work, it could be due to illness, legitimate illness. But in other cases, it could be due to, you know, intentional withdrawal from work. Uh, The same thing can be applied to production deviance. Someone could actually just be having a very difficult time with their job and not doing um, the work properly, whereas other times they could be intentionally reducing their performance uh, out of spite. Despite all that, the reality is that CWBs are really good, buzzworthy behaviors that you find all over the place, both in popular press and in the research literature. 
And I think that's in part because you can get some really interesting statistics that point to organizations, places where they might find efficiencies. For example, there are some recent surveys that suggest that nearly 60% of employees report on their own that they lose at least one hour of each day on social media and other things that are just not related to their work. And if we're talking about fraud and theft, these behaviors cost organizations a lot of money. There was a 2018 report released on the Global Study of Occupational Fraud and Abuse, where they studied over 2,000 cases uh, that cost organizations a total of $7 billion. The research actually estimate that, accounting for incomplete data and the cases they didn't see, that this fraud and abuse cost organizations worldwide potentially up to $4 trillion. And really, those are eye-popping numbers. And they're probably even more stressful if you're someone who is tasked with handling this at your organization. If your organization knows that it has a problem with something like fraud or theft or even people wasting time at work, it can be really difficult to figure out what exactly should we do to handle this. And I think where we should start is figuring out what are the drivers of these behaviors. So we're going to talk about that first. In terms of explaining why people actually engage in CWBs or, or why these behaviors happen in the workplace, there is a theory called the stressor emotion explanation. And this basically says that when someone experiences some kind of stress at work, whether that is a difficult job or something they can't control or some kind of injustice, like they feel they were unfairly treated, they're going to experience an emotion, uh, typically a negative one. And as a response, they're going to find some way to actually get back and, and retaliate. And the direction of that retaliation or, or response has a lot to do with where the person perceives that source of injustice or where they perceive that frustration is coming from. So in the case of a supervisor, for example, if a supervisor gives you a task that you really don't wanna do and you get frustrated and, and you feel like your, your peers got you know, much better projects to work on, you might retaliate by you know, doing an extra bad job at this project because it makes your supervisor look bad. And alternatively, in the, in the case of if you work in customer service and you feel mistreated by a customer, a customer yells at you or something, and you know with your typical protocol, you've got to have you've got to be a good salesperson or you have to be a good uh, customer support person, and you know kind of grin and bear it. You internalize a lot of that. You might feel that it's unfair that you're put in this kind of position. You might feel like the organization isn't really supporting you by empowering you to deal with difficult customers, and so you might lash at the organization by you know potentially stealing office supplies or, or waiting a longer time before you accept calls, kind of slowing things down. So really what ultimately comes out of this kind of way of viewing kind of productive work behavior is that really there are many, many drivers underlying this ultimate aggression from the employee back to the organization or back to their supervisor or other parts of the organization like their coworkers. Because the reality is that frustration can stem from many different places at work. It could stem from job insecurities, feeling like you're lacking resources to address issues with your projects, having conflict with your colleagues or with your supervisor, all the way over to really broad policies that you feel ultimately mistreat the employee that come from the top down to you. So it's really difficult to find a single driver of CWB. Instead, what we have is a general explanation. People get frustrated at work by something that's out of their control, and ultimately, it leads to them aggressing or doing something to kind of neutralize and get payback for how they're feeling. 
And what's what's interesting about a lot of the causes of, of counterproductive work behavior is these are some of the same causes as burnout. And this goes back to our, our previous episode, that when you have role ambiguity or you have a lot of insecurity in your job or you don't have enough resources to do your job, these are stressors that are going to cause you to you know feel exhausted, feel cynical, feel like you're not making a, a huge accomplishment at work anymore, like you can't really contribute. But it can also make you potentially feel angry and frustrated. And it's when those feelings of anger and frustration come out, those feelings of, of perceived you know injustice or unfairness come out is when you're going to actually find a way to you know, be vindictive and, and try and get back either the organization or the people around you who you believe are responsible for putting you in the situation. And one of the things we've been discussing off mic is that we have evidence that some of these behaviors are not as prevalent as others, some of the behaviors that we do to strike back. In particular, things like minor theft and other minor CWBs are more common and they're probably more common due to three very basic reasons. One, they're much easier to do. Two, there's less of a cost to you. You're much less likely to get much more than a slap on the wrist if you get caught. And the reality is that when you engage in something like stealing pens or stealing paper from the photocopy machine, you're not thinking about the long-term consequences. In the moment, it just seems like an easy way to get a benefit that kind of neutralizes the situation you're feeling at work. It kind of gets rid of your frustration a little bit by allowing you to get a little bit of payback. So one thing I will add about theft in particular is that when you're actually stealing something, you're acquiring something that's potentially of value to you, right? And so in, in the case of theft, it may not always be due to wanting to get back at someone or back at the organization. It is intentional, obviously, but sometimes you might just want your coworkers lunch from the fridge, or you might want to take pens because you need pens at home and you just don't feel like going to the store to get them. If there are no real barriers to theft, like it's very easy for you to do, you're not going to get caught you're probably going to go ahead and do it. And as Jose said, there's a, there's a concept called psychological distance, which is there's different facets to it. But basically, we don't think super far into the future. Um, we don't think about the consequences. Um, we don't think about the person at the other end, you know, who might find their lunch is missing from the fridge a couple hours later. We don't put ourselves in their shoes right away, which makes it very easy for us to, to take actions like these. And there are also some, some individual differences here, though, um, that we're going to talk about next. And on the individual differences portion, I think the the impulse is to immediately say, well, why don't we just get rid of all the bad apples? There are likely to be more people who are engaging in these kinds of behaviors than others. That's what we should be doing in order to address something like CWB. Our traditional personality variables, like the big five, are not particularly good at predicting engaging in counterproductive work behavior than other much more proximal drivers like role ambiguity, job insecurity, and lack of resources. And while the the big five model of personality isn't necessarily the, the best predictor of counterproductive work behavior, organizations have been doing background checks and have been uh, distributing integrity tests to employees or to potential employees for a very long time. And integrity tests are basically self-report assessments that ask people to be honest about how much integrity they have. And so I'm not an employment legal expert, but it is okay to, to give these tests in some contexts. And I, I think it's it's um, maybe not so appropriate to give it in others. And it definitely can potentially create a, um, a bad candidate experience if you give someone an integrity test, because it essentially communicates to them that you don't necessarily trust them. There is one personality trait um, that's part of the hexaco. You can go back and learn more about that in one of our previous episodes on personality called Honesty Humility. And I'll let Jose talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so we discussed Honesty Humility, like Nick said in a previous episode, but basically what we found in relation to that 
for CWB is that people who are higher in honesty humility are less likely to engage in kind of productive work behavior when they experience some amount of mistreatment at work. They basically have a stronger buffer than people lower in honesty humility. And when we go back to thinking about those explanations that we talked about, feeling like you're frustrated at work, ultimately leading to aggression, it seems like people who are higher on this trait are ultimately less likely to let that frustration and let whatever is the situation at work spill over and ultimately lead to bad behavior. On top of that, there is at least one more set of personality variables that we have never talked about that might be potentially useful when we talk about CWBs, and that's the infamous dark triad of personality. Yeah, so there's a different model of personality called the dark triad of personality, and we won't dive deep into this because I think it merits its own episode, but I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't actually mention this. So the dark triad consists of three different traits, as implied by the name. Uh, the first is narcissism, second is Machiavellianism, and the third is psychopathy. So narcissism is essentially you know thinking highly of yourself and having... It really, I think it ties quite well into the notion of, of injustice, which is why of the three, it is the best predictor of kind of productive work behavior. So, you know, people who are narcissistic have kind of a fragile sense of self, think they've got a sense of entitlement, you know, they basically think they're the greatest and they, they seek validation. So individuals with who are higher on the scale of narcissism, which it's important to mention that this is subclinical. So we're not talking about clinical diagnoses of psychopathy or narcissistic personality disorder. But people who are higher in this tend to act out or, or be a little bit more vindictive than other people. And really the only reason we're talking about narcissism and that's it is because like Nick suggested, the research so far tells us that Machiavellianism and psychopathy are not really strong drivers of something like CWB. Narcissism seems to be the one that's playing a major role here. So we've talked about quite a bit so far. I think it might be a good time for us to actually, you know, sum up what we've what we've covered, what we know about CWBs. I know we've talked a lot about, you know, the various different forms it can take, everything ranging from, you know, doing worse at your job to to stealing to actually harassing others. We know that they're caused primarily by some kind of stressor in the environment, some activation of uh, feelings of, of frustration or aggression, wanting to enact some kind of retribution. What else do we know? We also know that selecting out the people who are engaging in CWBs is probably not a good solution. A, some individual differences don't really predict CWBs very well. And on top of that, if really the drivers of CWB are the things happening in the organization, like lack of resources, unfair policies, ultimately getting rid of the people who are misbehaving now is probably going to lead to just other people misbehaving when they get frustrated enough. And so this really points to the fact that we should look to changing the environment and not the person, right? So what are some things we can do to you know, reduce the sense of injustice that someone might feel in a work environment? Well, we know from the justice literature that one of the major things you can do is give people voice. Basically, allow them a way to communicate their concerns and communicate the things that are frustrating them. So one suggestion might be to uh, give people some sort of process that allows them to report issues that lives outside of the source of the issue. So potentially people might have conflicts with their supervisor. Give them some sort of way of reporting those issues that is fair, that is transparent, and that ultimately the organization actually does something about that doesn't involve them talking to their supervisor first. That's a really good point. And to, to support that, um, that 2018 report on fraud that we spoke about actually showed that fraud was much more likely to be identified when you gave employees some kind of hotline to call into. And so, you know, th in this case, we're not talking about actually reducing it. Um, I mean, it might discourage other people in the future from from doing, you know, some form of embezzlement or fraud. But uh, in this case, it'll help you at, at least catch it 
in the first place. One other thing you can do is, as much as you can, reduce the constraints on employees. Part of frustration can come from basically feeling like you're trapped, like you're not allowed to do your job the way you want to or, or improve on the process in a way that you think might be worthwhile. So giving employees more autonomy and, and basically taking away constraints and taking away red tape as much as possible can actually lead to fewer CWBs as well and have some really good benefits for performance. So the, the shoe sale company Zappos had, is, is famous for allowing their, their customer service employees or their, or their CSRs, their, their reps, to go off script and just kind of be themselves and build an authentic relationship with the customer. Um, and I believe they hold the like, world record for longest customer service call. It's 10 hours and 51 minutes long, which is insane. These people were talking to each other all day, clearly. But this is an example of an organization taking a job that is traditionally very restrictive, where CSRs have to stick to a, a very clear script. They have to monitor their emotions very, very closely to make sure that they're you know, being respectful to the customers, regardless of how disrespectful the customer is. And Zappos essentially breaks that mold and says, you know, you guys be whatever you want to be, you know, drive an authentic connection. And I'm sure there's, there's obviously guidelines about being a kind person regardless. But I, you know, if, if you allow your, your employees to stick up for themselves and stop a call when someone is being abusive, you're giving them more autonomy and more power, and they're feeling more supported from the organization that employs them. So finally, one thing that we've been kind of saving for the end is uh, a more unique form of, of CWB called cyber loafing, which is essentially not working and just hanging out on the internet or like Facebook or Instagram. And so this technically falls under uh, production deviance, I guess, because you're avoiding doing your work or or maybe withdrawal, maybe a little bit of both. But this is this is a unique one. And I figure we could take some time to discuss this, uh, some of the unique aspects of it. Given that one, it's it's kind of harmless in 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 one sense because the person's kind of resting. On the, in the other sense, though, it's it's also modern and unique. Yeah. So the interesting thing with cyber loafing, beyond the fact that it has the only name for a CWB that's like from an '80s hacker movie, <laughs> is that it we we really have to deal with cyber loafing in a way that we can't deal with any of the other CWBs because I think unlike the other ones where we can say we can try to basically eliminate theft at work. I don't think cyber loafing is going away. So it becomes much more about managing the problem than eliminating the problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And like I just mentioned, I think it probably has some restorative properties as well. So there's uh, one study that I found showing that cyber loafing is a form of like emotion focused coping. So when someone experience like a sense of injustice and they can't do anything about it it actually helps them get back to baseline by you know restoring their sense of well-being after some kind of stressor happens so in, in one sense it's kind of restorative and i mean in some cases people are just looking like on the internet and stuff when they're on break and it, it is a form of rest that people you know choose and they may not be doing it specifically to be vindictive so in some ways, cyber loafing sounds like is a way to restore yourself maybe after more minor demands or more minor frustrations at work, whereas something like being absent might be 
an ultimate outcome of larger frustrations or a longer process of being frustrated or impinged upon by things at work. Does that make sense? Cyberlofen seems like a mic, uh, like a, a more immediate behavior that addresses this, and being absent is something much more definitive and serious to deal with. I think so. Yeah. I mean, as probably if some kind of like frustration or injustice continues on for a long time, someone's response to it, their behavioral response is going to escalate and get worse. Just kind of like looking at it in terms of like burnout as well, how the, how the process of burnout develops. I think that CWBs left unchecked can get worse as well. So in relation to that, what do you think is a, a realistic way of tackling this issue for most organizations? Knowing the fact that, well, it's going to be pretty difficult to detach people from their phones entirely, put this in, put it in the black box when you arrive to work and take it home with you when you're done for the day. I think that the approach would just be a broader approach of managing people effectively by giving them tasks that interest them and engage them, setting goals, uh, encouraging those individuals to meet those goals in a specific time frame, so and let them organize their work around that. In the absence of like a serious clinical disorder, like I just read an article saying that the World Health Organization put gaming disorder in the ICD, the, the International Classification of Diseases, uh, as of pretty recently. And, you know, if, if it's not a disorder, um, if, if the person's not addicted per se, they should be able to self-regulate and, you know, choose when to engage in cyber loafing or, or waste their time online versus actually doing their work. So I think the, the key is to build you know, a good work environment to be a good manager and to make sure that people are uh, empowered and they're doing work that interests them. I don't think there's much of a substitution for that approach. Like you said, you can't take people's phones away. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much in line with what we know from the very little research we have on cyber loafing. And what we know is that something like experiencing injustice at work is actually only minorly related to engaging in cyber loafing, whereas feeling bored and the lack of engagement and feeling a lack of autonomy is much more strongly related to cyber loafing. So I think that's completely in line with the with the very little that we know from a research perspective. Try to find ways to make engaging yourself at work much more interesting than being on your phone. And I think that's mostly what we want to talk about for this episode. One thing that we hope you take away is that CWBs are a really big, broad set of behaviors that for the most part, we seem to have some evidence are driven by a few underlying causes, the kinds of things that every organization should seek to address anyway, making sure your employees have the right resources, having fair policies for promotions and pay, ensuring that people feel secure in their jobs, that they know what they're supposed to be doing in their roles. So really doing all the good stuff that we always recommend anyway is going to lead to reducing the prevalence of bad behavior. And so this is not homework, but if you are curious about uh, your cyber loafing tendencies, we recommend you check out a program. It's free called Rescue Time. You can install it on your computer and it will actually uh, evaluate how much time you spend in certain applications. So whether that's email, whether that's uh, Excel, and whether it's Microsoft Word or, or whatever. And you can tell the program how to classify your time spent in each application. So if you think that email is wasting your time, you can classify it as a time waster. If email is productive, you can classify it as productive activity. So this tracks your time and it'll tell you what you've been doing. You can check back after a week or so and see how efficient you've been. Um, and the reporting functionality is pretty basic, but it's good for freelancers who kind of want to know, you know how they're spending their time and, and how to spend it 
um, a little smarter. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. perfect i think that is exactly what the very complicated feelings we have on this topic i hope so, so. much for the simple topic <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then there's the case where someone accidentally brings a pen home in their pocket because they forgot it <laughs> right yeah <laughs>